Black joy and bootstraps The podcast that you really need Helping my black community Good vibes, good energy Black joy and bootstraps Top financial literacy Love and education Wanna see my people elevated Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Joy and Bootstraps I am your host Felicia Jimenez And today y'all I have on a good friend of mine um, Misha McGriggs Misha can you say hello for the folks? Hello. Thanks for having me, Felicia. Excited to be here. Girl, I'm excited for all the wisdom you're about to drop on us. I need y'all to understand, okay? Because let me do a little bit of bragging. Misha, my girl, has been featured in on several different really well-known places, right? Like CNN, NPR. Where else? What am I forgetting? Because I know you're going to be like, girl, everything. Teen Vogue, that's that's my favorite. Yeah, come through, Teen Vogue. <laughs> so uh, she a little, little famous. We ain't going to boost her head too much. Because, you know, you start gassing folks up and they'll be like, yeah, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I am so happy to have you on today because we're about to talk about some important stuff. And a lot of it that, embarrassingly enough, I didn't even understand until a few years ago. So um, Misha is in diversity, equity, and inclusion for um for her career right this is your life and so i just want to ask before we even like hop into all the deep questions what is it like that you do like how did you even get involved in this work misha sure so i have a phd in counseling psychology so i'm a psychologist by training you know my my work was really it was clinical i was seeing patients basically long story short right i i saw that there's disparities and that there's inequities in the way that we treat um, people of color and other marginalized folks. Mm-hmm. And I really started to incorporate a lot of equity work into both my clinical practice, into my research. Um, and and then word kind of spread and people were like, hey, can you kind of talk to me about, you know, racism at this place or that place or, you know, um, sexism or whatever, it, you know, it is. And I was doing a lot of this kind of like consulting on the side of my full-time work. And I loved it. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this full time, shifted gears, moved out of the university, out of the clinical space, stopped seeing patients. I'm on a hiatus from doing any clinical work, Mm. Uh, but I bring a very therapeutic kind of uh, angle, which I think is what makes my kind of way of doing this unique. But I bring that kind of therapeutic lens to the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I do consulting still, but I also lead this work um, at, uh, you know, an independent school here in New York City. So I'm in the trenches doing this work every day um, and trying to, you know, assess where the gaps are and, and build programming to, to close those gaps uh, because they're significant um, and they are pervasive um, across industries and across, you know, different um, areas of life. So that's that's kind of the short story, but I know we're going to get into it a little bit more. So, Girl, because you know I got a million and one questions for you. But as you were saying, so you had a, you have a PhD, right? You said in clinical psychology? It, counseling psychology. Counseling psychology. Okay. Yeah, so they're do, virtually the same thing for, okay. for, you know, most people. So, yeah. Gotcha. So do most people, and I guess this is kind of, I don't know, but do most people that are doing um, DEI work, do they have higher degrees like that, like on that level, uh, PhDs and such? Most don't. Um, I work with some other consultants who are uh, who do. Mm-hmm. Most don't, though. The vast majority come from HR backgrounds okay. or they come from education backgrounds. Typically, you'll see like master's level folks, mm-hmm. sometimes even bachelor's level folks. And there's really good work that's happening, um, but... 
I do think that um, being really grounded in research and the best of scholarship mm-hmm. really helps drive what I'm doing, right? And That's so true. I'm able to see, okay, well, here's what's coming up in your org or here's what's coming up in your school. But like, let's really look back and see like, why and yeah. where does this come from? And when we're able to use the research and the literature and the best of academic discourse, to inform our practice, we're going to have an improved practice. And so it's it's bridging those two gaps is really something I'm passionate about. How do we bring the best of the academic literature into the public sphere? Um, and, and that's an important part of this work. Gotcha. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, right, which is what you mm-hmm. say. So DEI work is literally like a dream of mine. Like this is mm. like just looking at you do everything. I'm just living vicariously. I'm like, yes, Misha. <laughs> yes. I'm just snapping at all your work and everything. So I just appreciate that. So I want to start with like the very basics because this is the part where I was saying like oddly and embarrassingly enough, Um, I didn't really understand this. So I want to ask you just on the most basic level, if you could explain the difference, um, for our listeners of race, ethnicity, and nationality, like what is the difference between those three? Sure. So, and it's an important thing to understand, um, because, and let me say all three of those terms, right, exist in the, the context of, um, white supremacist colonialism, right? So that's really important, right? To to understand that what those things are, are byproducts, mm-hmm. right? Of, mm-hmm. of this kind of like macro system, this ecology um, that we're all kind of a part of. And so um, our understandings really need to be based on on that kind of assumption, right? That we're, that we're in this um, bigger system. So race, is really the the birth or the, the child of racism, not the other way around. I think we often think of them as the opposite. Yep. Um, but race, right, was obviously socially constructed. It's a social construction. Um, therefore, it's not biological, and yet it is materially real, right? It it mm-hmm. has material outcome to it, and so um, race really is about skin color, phenotype right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the value that is made um, or placed on those features. So we have the, we have the system of racism, right? White mm-hmm. supremacy at the helm, and it has dictated and doled out who is uh, what people's race is based okay. on how they look. So race is, is, you know, basically they started out with four races, <laughs> which, which is simple, right? They started out with four races. You got black and they said, this is the worst of the worst. Black's at the bottom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you have um, brown and you have yellow and you have red and then you had white. So th- those were the, I guess it was five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say brown, <sighs> yellow, and red, can you tell me like, if we're talking about races, we're talking about census work, right? If I need to check a box, like what what races are those? So we know black, we know white. What right, is red? Right. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, how that so I'm really going back to the the, the beginning. Yeah, I yeah, should have yeah. said that. So it's I'm going good. back to like oh, you the categories mm-hmm. of Blumenbach, mm-hmm. who who evaluated. He had a set of skulls, and his favorite skull was from the Caucasoid region. Right, and he said um, that was the most beautiful, and that's where he all said that was of the, the most beautiful. Yep. Exactly, yep. and that so that became the white race. 
Mm -hmm. right and it had the most value and his least favorite school (laughs) was the black school um Mm -hmm. and so the black they called it um negroid or ethiopian Mm -hmm. um um asian were were the yellow folks Mm -hmm. um and asia pacific islands all of that kind of region and north and south america were red so the indigenous native peoples were red and anything else right brown is kind of a later category but kind of anything that didn't get caught right was considered brown and put somewhere in the middle right um and so that that's what that's what race is, right? So race is something that, and I often say I'm a racialized person. I can identify any way I want. I could also say I have a million dollars. I could right. say I'm I'm this or I'm that, but the world is going to project onto me what they see, right? right? And we come from a, a history in America of the one drop rule, right? And so what that means is that you know it's the one drop rule. So if you look any bit of brown, right? Mm-hmm. You're not white. Right. And that's a really important um, distinction too about how our bodies are cast into a hierarchy and a structure. Okay. So that, that has nothing to do really with where you're from. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with really who, um, I mean, there's going to be shared ancestry in there, but that's less important too. Ethnicity really has to do with region and culture and shared ancestry. Okay. So hold on, pause, because... You you about to go New York on me, and I felt it. It was like so. <laughs> so let me back up real quick. Yeah. So when we talk about so today, when we talk about races, we're talking about five different. Like everybody, pretty much in the world, falls regardless as to whether or not it was seeped in white supremacy, and it still is. We all fall under five categories, right? Which is black, white, native, Asian. What am I missing? Well, so. Yeah, I mean, in America, Latinx has become or Latino has become a race. There are racialized people here, mm-hmm. and so that is a category that that we could that we could talk about. But it is more nuanced, right? So, yeah. um, I, I think the the people that don't fall neatly into, you know, either if if you're black, that's clear. If mm-hmm. you're indigenous, that's pretty clear. Um, particularly in the United States of America, right? Because we have our own kind of interesting history. Mm-hmm. But um, and Asian pretty clear right mm-hmm. um if you don't fall neatly into those categories right then we have this new kind of catch-all which is person of color gotcha. um which is like you don't fall neatly into or you're racially ambiguous or we haven't come up with a name for you um but if, which is interesting right because you're like i want to claim my own identity right, right. But, the, but that's not the way the world works that's not the way that white supremacy works so mm-hmm. white supremacy is going to say you're either cast as Right. Um, and in America, they'll say Latinx, but that's also um, that's also um, a complicated term, which we can get into um, gotcha. Latinx. So what does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Because there are there are white people that are Latinx. Yep. There are black people that are Latinx. Mm-hmm. There are mixed race mestizos yep. that are Latinx. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there are indigenous people that are Latinx. And so that kind of catch all. I think has created some confusion for folks, but um, you could definitely be, you know, from the Caribbean, from Central or South America and be black or be white or be, you know, some gotcha. mi- mix. Right. Okay. So Does that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. So every year, because my husband is Dominican, he is black Dominican. Right. So every mm-hmm. year I have to explain to my kids why they're looking, because where I teach, if I'm being honest, I'm in Texas. So the, it is predominantly Mexican. 
And so my Mexican students um, in Central American, so, some of them, right, have never seen a black Latino at all, period. Point like, mm-hmm. it's like if you are Mexican, you are either very white skinned or you are like the majority are very caramel native looking, right? Mm-hmm. You have the black mm-hmm. hair, the black eyes. And so when they see me, um, one, it's like, whoa, what is this black lady doing? And I speak Spanish, right? So they're like, this is really confusing. Um, mm-hmm. and then I have to tell them, well, my husband is Dominican. Then they see a picture of him and they're like, oh, I thought you said your husband's Latino. And I'm like, he absolutely is. Um, <laughs> he grew up, uh, you know, cleaning with Fabuloso and, you know, jamming mm-hmm. to Jerry Rivera when his mom wakes him up on Saturday mornings. Like that's their family, but it's difficult for them to understand that. So that's why I wanted to also get into ethnicity and nationality because, even recently, like on the census, just a few years within like the last eight years of our marriage, um, Hispanic or Latino is no longer a race. So right. it sent like Hispanics into a frenzy of, wait a minute, like, what am I? Because I have to check this box and it's telling me that I'm Hispanic, not a, or white, not of Hispanic descent, black, not of, you know, whatever. So I wanted right. to get into ethnicity and nationality and what what that is to help people better understand. Like you said, if you're Brazilian then you're Latino, but you can also be black. You can also be white. You can also be native. Like that's confusing for people, right? Because a, a lot of times nationality just takes everything. They go, well, I'm Dominican. Well, I'm, right. well, I'm Puerto Rican. Well, I'm Honduran. And I'm like, but you black like me. So I'm confused. Or you right. white, like, you know what I'm saying? Like you Scarlett right. Johansson white. What you mean you Cuban? So right. this is like an right. interesting thing. So let's go through what's, what is ethnicity? So ethnicity really is about, um, culture and shared ancestry and region. So the, you are looking at location and you're looking at what is the culture that's happening in there mm-hmm. in our family, right? And so um, this, you know, I mean, you could say, let's say you're, let's say you're an Asian, you know, you are racially, you're Asian, right? But you are from Korea. And so your ethnicity would be Korean. Um, but even beyond that, right? there's going to be some regional differences within Korea, right? Mm-hmm. Korea, uh, that's where you get the kind of that, the meeting of the nationality and the ethnicity. You have the same thing kind of happening, let's say in Spain, right? Where you have Catalan who, you know, don't feel like they wouldn't even say they're Spanish, right? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, they would yeah. just say like, we're our own ethnic group. We're our own, we're our own little group. And we have our own culture. We have our own language that's mm-hmm. different than the way the rest of the Spaniards speak. Um, and we have our own traditions and all of that, right? And so that would be its own kind of like ethnic group within a, a larger ethnic group that's all housed within borders. Nationality is about borders and paperwork. That's ah, it. Ah, okay. Borders and paperwork. So it is about basically how did the colonizers separate this region and then what kind of government um, grew out of that. And mm-hmm. so where do you have citizenship? Where do you, are you able to occupy? Where do you have documentation? Where do you pay taxes? Those types of things gotcha. are really what nationality are. And so um, there's, people have a lot of national pride, um, but I, I'm always leery of, of how um, quote unquote patriotism could be um, kind of used for like nationalism because I'm like, that's not, it's not really, I mean, it's real. It's very real because mm-hmm. it's a thing that we do every day. We, we vote and we pay our taxes mm-hmm. and we, all of these things. And yet it's really just a map 
right? A map right. and where, where your people were born or where your people live or where your people, where the ship stopped for you. I yep. mean, that's a lot of the difference is, is for, especially for black folks is, mm-hmm. um, where where did the slave ship stop? Did it stop here in the continental United States, or did it keep going down to the Caribbean? Right. <laughs> right? Um, and so you know you have you have those. So we all have all of those. We all have a nationality. We all have a race, and we all have an ethnicity. Gotcha. And sometimes we have more than one ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know race, you can also have different races in one family. Mm -hmm. And so that's interesting based on, you know, how people are, uh, how you're perceived. And you could have that. You could have a family where you have people are biologically related and they're going to experience the world differently. You've got people that are white presenting. And so even if they're Latinx, but they're white presenting, that's a very different experience. And they are going to walk through and navigate the world when they are, particularly when they're isolated, when they're by themselves as a white person compared to perhaps their brown or black sibling or cousin, Mm -hmm. right? Which is also something that's really interesting um, to, to think about. And I think people don't want people. I think sometimes people will lean on ethnicity or nationality Mm -hmm. because we don't want to be racialized because we understand inherently that racial, that racialization is about power, right? right? And however you are cast in the hierarchy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is determinant of how much access and power you have to economic opportunity, to education, to resources, to the safety of your own body, to the presumption of innocence, right? We don't want to um, think, I I think oftentimes, I say we very kind of like globally, Mm -hmm. but I think people have a hard time um, identifying racially because it speaks to the inherent system of white supremacist power. You know, when you say that, that is something I completely agree with because for like for example i have friends that i've never heard a haitian ever deny that they are black like they always say that they are black they know that they are black um and they like haitians are um rightfully so like praise be to them right the most prideful because of their history and the beauty of their history right but when we look at like i have friends whose family are from um the west indies i have like a, a whole slew of like uh, friends whose family are from the caribbean right who are mm-hmm. visibly black. You see them, hair is just as 4C as mine. Um, you know, <laughs> lashes are short and curly, noses like mine, like everything. And will let you know immediately, like, I'm not black, I'm this, right? Like, I'm West Indian or I'm, you know, I'm Caribbean, I'm this, because there's an ability. And I think that black so often, especially in America, is the equivalent to African-American, right? So when people hear black, they go... No, I'm not. In their brain, they're thinking that we mean African American, right? And so right. they go, "Oh no, I'm not black. I'm I'm West Indian, right? I'm Dominican. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Cuban." And I'm sitting here like, "Bro, we use the same hair products. Like that's a, right. that's a thing, right? Like that's right. like Negro. If we sitting here using Cantu, both of us, like I don't right. know no white folks, or you know what I'm saying? Like using Cantu well, like that. Well, and that's because of the, I mean, what's taught, right? right I mean, right. that's that's white supremacy and us internalizing it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, ethnically, I am African-American, um, and that gives me a very different cultural outlook um, on a lot of things, on the way that I understand Blackness, right? Right. But, but I'm Black, and guess what? When we're in the street, they're not going to know. Right, right. <laughs> they don't know the difference between me and you. Right. And they being, right, those who racialize as whiteness, white supremacy, the police. Right. They don't know, and they don't really care. Right. Um, 
They're and like, yet the oh, narrative... you're a Negro that speaks Spanish. Don't care. <laughs> right. Like, they're exactly. like, they don't care. Exactly. Shoot first, ask questions later. Right. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're running the same struggle. And a lot of, you know, I think, like, second-generation immigrant folks mm-hmm. understand that a little bit better than parents. Um, yeah. However, the narrative that has been produced by colonialist white supremacy is mm-hmm. that being black is really bad and yeah. that African-Americans are the worst of the black people. That is, that is absolutely true. That is something that I have learned from, I mean, just growing up with Africans. Like I remember like, and, and I use Africans specifically just for this example, not like all Africans think this, but I remember growing up around Africans and then their parents being like, Oh no, no, no. You like, you will not be like, those African-American kids. Like, I did not come here so you could talk like them or walk like them or act like them. You know what I'm saying? And that was, like, that had me, like, shook at a young age, and it really caused, like, an intense divide between Africans um, and African-Americans, right? Because they came with this air. And also this, like, it was a... it was really jealousy on the African-American end, like, whether we know it or not, that they came with this, like, intact history. Like, they knew... Their mother's mother, mother, father's father, father. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. they had just generations and they were raised in these, like, when they say it takes a village, like, they were raised in villages, not literally, you know what I'm saying? But, like, well, some, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but literally, they were raised with their village. Like, <clears throat> and so yeah. that was, that was very. And their language and their tradition yes, and yes. their food. Yes. And we have a lot of trauma as mm-hmm. African Americans. And so I think that our trauma is oftentimes punished instead of treated yes. or, or tried to be understood even by other black people. Oh yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, you know, again, people in people have the, the, I, I'll call it, I'll say that people have the privilege of identifying with their ethnic right. group or their tribal affiliation, um, in ways that, um, we don't have access to, right? right? So if you live in the continent of Africa, I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of Nigerian friends, Kenyan friends, and Same. they'll be like, or, you know, Ghanaian friends, whatever, and they'll be like, they really identify from their, like, tribal mm-hmm. affiliation, mm-hmm. you know? And they're like, yeah, I say Nigerian when I'm in America, but, like, when I'm home, like, I'm Yoruba or I'm Igbo, right. and, like, that right. has much more significance. And I'm like, yeah, that's such a privilege. I don't, I mean, I'm African-American, and that has, we've built, something out of nothing right like really did a bang-up job at creating an entire culture for our entire country but there's still that trauma of the not knowing i agree Um, with that and i think too like this year alone um and actually if i'm being quite honest i've been noticing this since like 2012 since trayvon martin right is that there has been a huge shift um of knowledge and understanding and empathy within all different black cultures right all different black ethnicities because they come over here right and they think you know well black people should be doing better right like we they've been free since x y and z and jim crow is old and so a lot of this narrative comes in right this white supremacy narrative seeps in um and i think with all of the civil unrest especially from this year that so many people so many racial i mean ethnic different um black people are starting to realize like holy shit this is not just like this is this is not black people or african-americans being lazy right this is actual systemic um institutionalized racism and i think there's been a lot of bonding a lot of healing within different ethnic uh 
communities. What What do you think? Like, do you think the same? Like, I, that's just what I've been seeing. That's anecdotal, and I get it. But I feel like there's been a wave of that recently, and I think it's the news. I think it's everything else. Um, I think it's really true, especially mm-hmm. as millennials. I feel like, yeah. and and hopefully the the younger generation to to really see like, okay, this is not African Americans having a moral failing. Mm-hmm. This is not about virtue, yeah. um, and and we're not more virtuous than them, right? right. Um, we, you know, and I, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's stories about how people how people get here and who gets to come here, and that's I think that's a separate issue. But right. um, you know, I think that just seeing our common humanity through race mm-hmm. and saying like this is the way that we're cast and these are the things that we're facing and and it's not just folks that have immigrant backgrounds to this country we got folks that are african americans oh, oh, okay oh, that yeah. that internalize those same toxic messages mm-hmm. and and you know you got your ben carson's of the world and you're now you got your general attorney of whatever it is arkansas and you know just mm-hmm. doing the most with the least and, you know, it's really sad to see, but it's like at the end of the day, that will not protect you Ma'am. because whiteness will always come back and use you as a pawn or a shield or a weapon. And so I'm you have to understand that. the way that they're going to use your body, boo. Oh, my God. Um, I'm dead that you said using the most with the least. <laughs> I cannot. Oh, why are you like this, Misha? Okay. So <laughs> let me go. Because we, you know, listen, that is like a whole other podcast. I feel like I need to have you on for like three consecutive, like back-to-back podcasts. So, yeah, we might need a mini-series. Girl, for real, for real. Because that's really what I'm about to do. So... I want to talk about how all of this affects your work, right? Because you talked about the disparities, but, and, and we know too, I wanted to get like race, ethnicity, nationality out of the way, but I also know that, um, that there's way more to diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? We're talking about religions. We're talking about, um, sexuality. We're like uh, sexual orientation. Sorry. We're talking about all these different things. So I want to know, um, what is for the people, like, what is, DEI. When we say, "Oh yeah, they're doing DEI over there," what is it? Like, what what should be doing? Yeah. What is it, girl? Well, I would say really right. So I don't even. I mean, the term even diversity is a little. It, it's a little gross to me because diversity just means different. Okay, a bunch of people are different. Then what? Mm-hmm. Really, the focus needs to be on. Okay, the equity and the inclusion, mm-hmm. right? So how do we create communities where we have a difference? We have people that are that are different genders, that are different races, that are different, and they have an intersecting identity. So so being intersectional in our approach and really seeing that my experience as a black person is mediated by, moderated by, informed by, impacted by my gender as a woman, right? And mm-hmm. and my socioeconomic status and my religious experience, right? And my and my um education level. Gotcha. Right. All of those things are are in me. So I have to approach the work like that to see, okay, people are not just a race or a gender or a religion, but they're all of those things simultaneously Mm -hmm. and how do I create a community where this person and this person can both thrive that's really the work the work is how do we come together and have thriving um because we are meeting um we have communities again that Mm -hmm. are well-intentioned right but are being impacted through white supremacy, through patriarchy, mm-hmm. through heteronormativity, yep. right? So all of those systems, right, systems of oppression, systems of marginalization are really um, stunting us from being able to live our, our values. Because I think most most people have the values around, like, 
you know, equality and diversity. Yes, and yes. I think that's the majority of people. I don't think the majority of people really deeply hate women or really deeply, of course. you know, you know, there's some, right. right. And, and sometimes the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so uh, we attend to those folks, but I think for most places, your workplaces, they want to make money. So right. they want everyone to come in and be productive and make them more money, right? Mm-hmm. Capitalism is king. So if you could come in and do that, but the problem is, is that if I am not setting up an environment where every single person mm-hmm. um, can thrive, they're not going to be able to maximize their capacity or potential, yep. right? In in our organization, which was actually going to hurt my bottom line. Oh my um, gosh! Oh, so <laughs> like, I literally, I okay, I have to tell you a story because I literally just had this conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday. Oh my gosh! Uh-huh. Like it was perfect segue about you saying that because I just told him the same thing I I feel like Dr. McGriggs now right so I told him the same thing yesterday so my brother um uh Bolo right my brother-in-law Bolo um or if you want to be politically correct his government name Agnel so um (laughs) but I was talking to Bolo the other day and he uh he works for I'm not going to tell you but he works for a survey company that you all will know uh, everybody has received a survey from this company. They're, they're very widely known and they do a damn good job with their DEI. Like they are very mm-hmm. good. So what he does is he calls, you know, the higher ups of companies. Um, and he basically asked them if they'd like to, you know, send out surveys to their employees. And so girl, girl, I got to tell you this. <laughs> so one I'm of ready. the largest, um, he told me I couldn't say the name, so I'm kind of mad about that. But, but y'all, if you, like, text me after this, I'm going to tell y'all the name. What? So. <laughs> they have all blast. No, let's not get into trouble. So, I know. But, so he called one of the um, gas stations here in Texas that people love. It's only in Texas, and people in Texas love this gas station. I was like, oh, my gosh, you got to go da-da-da-da. Like, they love it. So, anyway... Uh, he calls their, like, uh, what is it, like, computer technology, some some person, uh, and he asked them, he's like, hey, so uh, I just want to know how you're, you guys are treating your, uh, you know, employees during this COVID season, like, if you've been listening to them. And the guy basically said, well, our philosophy is if you don't come, if you work, you get paid. If you don't come to work, you get fired. And he's oh. like, wait, I'm sorry, what? Like, so have you... Like, what about safety precautions for them? And this is important because when we're talking about DEI work, you also have to understand that the workers at this gas station, right, are are um, essential workers, right? So right. they are the ones that are on the front lines, and usually those are the people that are most affected, usually come from the marginalized communities. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's a whole thing. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, it it is a lot broader than people think. So he says, well, what about, have you done any DEI training? And the guy says, oh, no. Like, we were created by two farmers, uh, you know, so our philosophy is just if you come to work, again, you get paid if you don't. And we, He's like, we're a small company. We only have about 150 people here. And he's like, here, like, as in corporate? And the guy's like, yeah, so we don't need DEI training. We only have 150 people. And he's like, so when I say employees, you only think about corporate, like how many people are at your, like, at your work, yeah, working at your stores. And he's like, oh, about 4,400. <laughs> and he's like, so you mean to tell me you have no DEI in place? And he was like, no, and we don't intend to, like, we don't really, we don't have any desire for that. Um, mm. And so my mind was blown because I'm sitting here like, even if 
you have zero desire, right? You don't care anything about the different races, ethnicities, um, sexual, sexual orientations, whatever that work for you, a smart business person, right? Business, just think capitalism alone would go, mm-hmm. well, my gains would improve if my employees love working here, right? Like mm. that's how that works. Even if it's with the most ill intentions, like yeah. logically for your bottom line, it is logical to say, all right, maybe we should do this. You know, people are more productive when they're happy, when they feel included. He was like, no, like we, you know, we're made by two farmers. You come to work, you get paid, you don't, whatever. Like, who needs that? Well, and but, you can avoid litigation, right? I mean, right. I, it's just literally I'm like you, you, your bottom line, if you're creating a hostile work environment, you're going to get sued. Correct. Right? So, Correct. So what are you doing? And this that's is exactly, wild. That is exactly what my brother-in-law was saying too, like, you, this is, if you have happy employees, you're less likely to be sued. Why is this a thing? Like, this is really ridiculous. So anyway, I, I was like, I cannot wait to tell the world who this is. So y'all better start texting me after this. Because I don't want y'all going there. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want nobody going there. I don't want you traveling through Texas going there. But, right. you know, I was, I'm grateful for my brother-in-law who has this, like, little insider knowledge, right? Because I'm like, yo, I would have never. And we know that the majority of people in businesses are like that, right? They don't give a shit about right. us. They're right. like, we are their walking dollar signs, right? So they don't care. But yeah. to be able to hear it firsthand from those at corporate high up say, yeah, no, that's not, we don't care about diversity and inclusion. We also don't care about COVID, like just come to work, do your job, <laughs> goodbye. Like, oh, what? wow. Yeah, so, when, you're, when your employees are dropping dead and then the families are right. in and, you know, I mean, it's wild. I, I think that, you know, most, again, most, the, the business argument, right, the business argument for this really is about money, right? And, right, I think that that there are companies and orgs and I, I think schools in particular, right, who want it to be about values right. and say, yes, we will benefit monetarily and, mm-hmm. and we will have capital gains from this. Yeah. But also, like, we care. We are we're a mm-hmm. people centered, community centered yeah company and that's important that we have a climate and culture that is welcoming mm-hmm. and that is um a, really a thriving space for everyone and so i you know what we understand about where there's bias that's internalized mm-hmm. and and bias that becomes interpersonal leads to bias that becomes structural right it becomes mm-hmm. it, it all of that bias ends up showing up in our hiring yes, practices, yes, in our policies, yes, mm-hmm. in our procedures, in how we promote, in how we fire, and how we right all of that. And so, if we don't start with the work, right, the work has to be self work of how do I start to recognize, you know, all mm-hmm. my my little blind spots and my biases and and what's mine, right? Mm-hmm. Where does my where does my racism live, or where does my misogyny live, yep. or where does my homophobia live within me? But then, how does that seep out right into the work that I do? Perfect. That that then creates and 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 maintains these inequities, that maintains these ideas, right? What we know is that if you take the same job application, the same resume, Mm -hmm. and you put a white sounding name on it compared to a black sounding Mm -hmm. name on it, quote unquote, black sounding name, the Jamal Jackson is going to get half the calls that Steve Jones gets. Right. Every black Steve Jones is going to be mad listening to this. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, Steve, you know, you know, Steve. Steve, But Steve got the call. He He might not have got hired when he got to the interview, but he got the call because they thought his name 
you know, was white. And so it's all those things that we are, we're putting on and we're, and, and these are studies that are in the literature that are consistent, right? We know this. There's enough data to say this stuff is baked in. Um, this white supremacist patriarchy, mm-hmm. heteronormativity is baked in. So um, I have a question about that. So when you're doing your work, right? Like, because you go and you work with different companies and you train them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, like, what level of the employees are you training? Like, and how big are the companies? I know that's like two really broad questions, but mm-hmm. I'm asking because I'm like, are people only training their people at corporate? Is it like a trickle down? Is it a, like, what, how does this usually work in your training practices? Yeah. So depending on the, the org, right? I mean, mm-hmm. depending, it depends on what people need. I'm very much about, how do I meet you where you are? Okay. How do I um, meet your need and then invite you forward, right? Because I do think this work is also developmental. Like I can't say, I can tell you all day this is best practices, but if you're not going to, you're not ready to commit to that level right. of of a really sustainable kind of collaboration, then that's fine. I'll come in and I'll do the one-off for you. And then mm-hmm. hopefully that's good enough to where you'll invite me back. But really, I think everyone should be trained. Um, and what I mean right, trained, it's so, so like, oh, I don't like to sound like an HR corporate training type of deal, but like to start to do this work and start to have this lens, really it's shifting our lens, right? right? It, it's starting to see what we haven't been aware of, right? Mm-hmm. It, it starts to like take a, a fish <clears throat> out of water so it can right. look down and go, oh, I was in water, right? Because right? uh, you don't know you're, if you're a fish in water, you don't know. Right. right, that what you're mm-hmm. swimming in. So to change your perspective and lens, that will then help you engage in more equitable practices. Um, but I, I love everybody. If it's a small company, I'm like, let's everybody bring everybody into the conversation. Right. For bigger companies, you know, we've had clients that are that have thousands of employees, and it's it's you can't. I mean, of it's course. a much harder, it's a much longer term plan, but it is very important that it is top down. Mm-hmm. Right. Executives need to be doing this. Right. They need to be because they are the ones that are setting the policies. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are leading. Right. They are the ones that are saying this is what our values are and this is what we're going to invest in. Right. They're the ones who have to sign off on the budget. From the re, you know to mm-hmm. to get the money to pay for th- this work right yep. um so it has to start there the c c level suite people need to be in the conversation the people managers are essential to be in the conversation because they are the ones that are are you know your directors your team managers team leads all of those people are are really the ones that are you know kind of effectuating the mission right, right that mm-hmm. that the top has set. So they're the ones in contact with the people. They're the ones that are checking in. So those people are essential. But I also think it's essential for everyone else, right? For everyone to to be able to feel like they have a voice, to feel like they can say, this is my truth. This is what's been happening. This is what it's like to be a black or brown intern mm-hmm. at this place, right? And, and for someone else, for a, an executive that maybe – you know, made it to the top for a black executive to be able to say, oh, I remember that. And right. how do we, um, how do we create a pathway to where I'm not the only one, right? Cause right. the only intern is probably the only executive too. So mm-hmm. how do we create pathways of sustainability to actually have more, um, you know, diverse and inclusive spaces? Right. Because if we can't see ourselves reflected, then we're not we're not going to feel like we belong. And Absolutely. so the representation is really a, a key. But yeah, everyone, everyone needs to do it. And what we know is that when we make it mandatory, it's a little less effective. So that's ah. kind of the, the, the rock and the hard spot there. So optimally, you run a pilot with people who want to be in there, mm-hmm. um, or you start with them. Phase one is people who really want to do this work. You start to, or you build like a train the trainers program, something like that. 
where you can then start to really sell this and get people on board to start making those cultural shifts within the org. Right. So, so, so then it trickles down. (laughs) I am so glad you said that because my next question right now at my school, we are reading, um, you know, Ijeoma Oluo. Uh-huh, for, um, uh-huh. So you want to talk about race. race. Yes, mm-hmm. girl, yes. So we've been reading that. And I love it because I love that it's very simple. Like, now I love Todd Hesse Coates, right? Love him to death. But I already know, like, I'm going to have to have a dictionary beside me. Like, I got to have my dictionary app open. You know, and I'm an <laughs> English teacher. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, But I right. love him and I'm never going to stop reading his work, right? But um, hers is very simple. And anyway, that's just a side note as to how great of a, an author she is. But... One thing, um, so we have our principals doing it. They're doing like a, an ad administration, um, administrators, like book study. And then we, a few of the teachers, we sent out like an email. Um, and there's a principal there and our at-risk coordinator and everything. But I already knew, I'm like, oh, shit, as soon as we start this, it's just going to be the teachers that are already very aware of their biases. Like yep. those that are, that are already seeking to be anti-racist. That are doing the work. Yes, like they're already doing it. And so... The people that do not, like, the people that need it the most are not going to show up. Like, they're just, that's just what happens, you know? So when it's a volunteer basis, I'm sitting there, and it's basically an echo chamber, which is fine, right? Like, I'm not upset about being around white people that are anti-racist. Like, I'm never going to be upset about that, you know, that are actively working on anti-racist work. But when you said, you know, when we make it mandatory, then you lose something. And I was like, okay, like, so I, I can ease up a little bit because I was like, everybody on campus needs this, right? Like, like, we yeah. have teachers up there that um, I, I'm not even going to get into it because it's a whole other podcast, like for real, for real, but that need it. That's all I'm going to say is that they need it intensely. Um, yeah. And equity is needed in their life and having to like have them identify those biases that they have. But those are the teachers that we're, we're never going to get, right? However, yeah. with the administrators doing this, another point that you made is that hopefully we won't continue to get those teachers, right? Like, Because when they're doing this, when they're interviewing and when they're the ones, again, making the policies and everything else, um, hopefully those people will just weed out because they're like, this is not the culture that I want to be associated with. Right. Like they're doing anti-racist work on this campus and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of this. And hopefully they just kind of weed themselves out. But I appreciate you saying that, that, you know, volunteer is okay. Because I, I think yeah. I needed to hear that personally. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because I, I, my, what I want is for it to be mandatory too. I'm like, everyone needs to do this work, right? Yeah. But what I do think is you you create an environment where it is essential. And mm-hmm. if you do not meet the the competency in this area, right. then you are you're going to have to go. Right. 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 So I think it's also about building an assessment. Right. Right. And saying like. Look, if your curriculum is not up to snuff, it is not equitable, it's not accessible, it right. is not, you know, whatever. If if this the way you're managing your classroom, so putting that into policy and practice and and holding people accountable to it, that's one way where you can start to, you know, sort through people. Um and, and or you make it such a, an environment that that demands this level of um, thoughtfulness yeah. and intentionality and Absolutely. this lens that people will, it will become, um, so uncomfortable for them. They will, they will self-select out. Right. But like, this is the work we're doing. I don't think there's anything wrong actually with doing some things that are like for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think like having a, a shared summer read for the entire faculty, we do that at our school where, you know, and what we know is you're supposed to read the book. We're going to send you the book. And one year for us, it was also um, Olio's book. Mm-hmm. So we all send you the book. 
we know not everyone's going to read it. Right. But we are going to have these conversations. We right. know not everyone's going to participate, mm-hmm. right? But we're going to do them in the middle of faculty meeting. Faculty meeting is required. So you're not required to participate. You don't have to talk about the book. You don't have to do right. But it's going to be during faculty meeting. You have to be at faculty meeting. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah. So I think that there's a couple ways to come at it. But especially in, like, corporations, schools are a little different. But especially in corporations, if it's if it's mandatory for everyone, um, then you, you – because you'll have people that are coming just will – cause problems and they'll right. detract. So you don't want those sticks in the mud, right, right. type of folks that mm-hmm. are, are really just there. And I don't care if you sit in the corner and frown, that's fine by me. Right. But if you're going to actively be a detractor right. and an agitator, that sets the work back. The so folks we, that's, we, that's there we don't so want to center on them. Right. We don't want to center our programming on the the hardest folks to, mm. to you know, convince, Right let's not do that. Let's build on what's best practice. What are our values and center on our values, right? As opposed to our fears around who's going to mess us up. Right. So I have, I have just a couple more questions. Sure. <laughs> One is, um, you know, recently good old 45, right. He said, <laughs> oh, he's trying to take money out of my pocket. Girl. Like, I'm like, yo, I got folks out here trying to secure the bag. Like, and you over here telling folks and companies, right, that um, DEI practices are anti-American, which, I mean, he ain't lying, right? Because America, like, if we, if we getting real, like... This is America. Please. I mean, exactly. This is America. So it's not like he was lying. You know, he, he good at that. But that wasn't the... That wasn't really a lot. So, but I want to know, have, have you... Um, or anyone around you been affected by his comments on DEI trainings? And if so, how? Yeah. So, you know, we, we've been one of the, uh, one of my consulting partners and I have been trying to secure a government contract with mm-hmm. a city. And that, that has been um, kind of now they're having to negotiate, right? And where mm-hmm. are they going to, they're not, they're not negotiating whether they're going to do it. Um, move forward, but they're mm-hmm. negotiating how they're going to reallocate their budget. Right. Um, so because they're part of their budget is, is federal. And so mm-hmm. what are they going to do and how, to, you know, what are all of that? So, so some of those government contracts, right, are, are now being compromised. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, I know even like the Smithsonian, the uh, African-American Smithsonian in DC, mm-hmm. Some of the materials they would normally be able to put up as resources, they no longer can because they come from critical race theory because they're fully, you know, funded unless they can get, you know, an outside funder to be able to funnel that in. So I was having a conversation with a a very prominent, well-known trainer in this area, Glenn Singleton, um, from Courageous Conversations. And, you know, so some of their work that they were submitting to the Smithsonian has been kind of um, delayed or uh, denied, I think, um, some of their resources. So, yeah, absolutely, it's having an impact. And, right, when, you know, when the the president says this is, you know, this is not work we're going to support, then people, all government agencies really have to figure out how they're going to navigate that. Right. And so that does mean that the work is going to be stalled or stopped in some areas. And I think that it, it could inform public schools, public uh, universities, what can be taught and how. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that there will be fallout. Thankfully, that will probably be reversed in a few months. Yeah. So, um, and here's the but, thing, too. Yeah. This is my frustration with people who are like, 
um, voting doesn't matter, my vote doesn't count. And I'm sitting here like, in one in one speech, right? Forty five shifted how we learn. Like literally, mm-hmm. like so. Mm-hmm. People that are saying, "Well, that shit don't matter." This and that. Like you know, we're we're constantly fighting against those who don't believe that our vote counts. And I'm like, in one sentence, in one speech, he wiped out so much of the education and the work. Yeah. So much of the work that African Americans and and others, right, Black people, yeah. period, have been doing in just yeah. one fell swoop. Oh, this is un-American, and now people have to decide, okay, how are we going to pull money now that our president said we can't do X, Y, and Z, right? Like, how are we going to be able to get this done? And so I'm sitting here like, this is... This is really ridiculous. Like y'all, anyway. That's a girl again. Well, you know, I mean, it is, but it's it's crazy because it's like, okay, so me trying to reclaim or claim my humanity as an American, mm-hmm. right, as a black person, mm-hmm. you know, that's 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 a blow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and right. it will cost us in dividends, not just kind of emotionally, but t- certainly to to the folks on the ground doing this work and. You know, but I say, look, if we were, if we weren't doing something, then he wouldn't be mad at it. Right. So to me, good. But the haters say, we'll figure it out. We'll bounce right. back. We always do. And I'm like, we're starting up good trouble, right? You yep. know, I'm like, John Lewis throwing up good trouble because it's activating something and it, and it's working. So uh, to me, if it wasn't working, it wasn't activating something. Then you know there would be no need to you know pour a white supremacist. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So these are my last two questions that I have for you because girl, you have schooled me today. Like <laughs> and I appreciate that so much. But one is if if we are working at companies, right? How do we approach and who do we approach, right? If we're like this we could really benefit from this. And let me just I need to say this too for everybody that's white that's listening. Everybody that's white that's listening, right? <laughs> This should really be your place, right? Because Absolutely. because people of color, we are suffering from racial battle fatigue. We are mm. tired of having to bring up every damn thing concerning and pertaining to race. So if yeah. you are listening, I hope your ass is gaining some knowledge and some courage and confidence and everything else to do exactly what Misha is about to tell us to do. Because if you work, and even if you say... Oh, I only work with one black person. Baby, I promise you it's even worse. <laughs> like, if mm-hmm. you only work with one black person or one right. Latino person or one Asian, I promise you they That's are getting the microaggressed to death. Like, to yeah. death. And so I don't care how diverse it is where you work. I mean, even more important if you don't work in a diverse area. But yep. anyway, Misha, tell us, what. how can we do this? Like, how can we get a Dr. McGriggs on the team to teach <laughs> us, girl? Yes, you know, I'm for hire. Um, <laughs> but no, I, you know, I think that that's such a good question, right? How do we take all this stuff? Like, oh, this is so important now. How do we actually start to implement it, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say one is you have to really look at your positionality and in life and then in your in your organization, right? So HR, right, is shifting. HR is, is shifting globally from being like a assets protection monitor Right, like protect the company. So, like, mm-hmm. how do we actually protect people? And that is a cultural shift that's happening in HR. And so, I think that that's a, this is an inroad that builds on that type of cultural shift we're seeing with HR um, folks. Is to say, like, this is just as important as sexual harassment training right. is, right. right? And the conversations we're having about that, or um, organizations that are, you know, have child, you know, mandatory child reporting, those types of things. 
This is important. And so I think advocating to your HR and coming with solutions, right? Saying, I'm so, um, you know, I think that we have some gaps um, where we could improve. We could work, you know, if you feel like you're already doing DEI work, you could say, I want us to work to become more anti-racist organization um, or just be more proactive in our approach to equity, more sustainable. Or if you're not doing anything at all, say like, this is a problem. Like, we're not very diverse because we haven't created the systems and structures to be able to bring that diversity in or to be a place that can hold people. Because I actually don't want to put more black and brown people or more, you know, trans folks or more queer folks into spaces that are hostile. I don't actually think that's a good goal. Let's experiment on them. No. Mm -hmm. How do we start to do that work to, to become a space that is welcoming and inclusive for, for everybody? And you can do that whether there's black and brown folk in the room or not. right? Right. So, um, I think going to HR is one is, is one strategy with solutions of saying, here's our gaps. Here are three interesting companies that are doing this work, three interesting consultants that are doing this work. You know, um, I would love for us to look into this. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, or go into your manager. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is, is I had a <laughs> I have a friend who works for he's like a regional or district manager of a of a big um furniture company mm-hmm. and a really well-known brand that owns a bunch of other brands. Anyway, he's like, you know, he's nobody. I mean, he's, you know, middle management, right. Mm-hmm. Um, for this huge company. And he cold emails the CEO. Oh, wow. <laughs> cold emails the CEO and says, you gotta, you gotta meet my friend Misha because we're doing all this work and she would be really great. And lo and behold, a month later, I get a call from them come on in yes and then you know and so we're in talks about what that collaboration could potentially look like but just from this like cold email to the ceo somehow it trickled down to like the vice president of like i don't know talent or something like that and and he wanted to talk right so um i now i've had a couple conversations with them and we'll see where that goes but you know so you never know what strategy, you know, is perfect could work. You could cold call the CEO, right? right? Or, you know, you take it up the chain, but I think you keep saying, right? Or you start something. So you say, I'm going to start book club. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start book club. I'm going I'm to start So You Want to Talk About Race. I'm going to start White Fragility. And we're going to do a lunch and learn book club. Um, and I'm going to be here. And if anyone wants to join me, and this is a great place where white folks can do this, because... Black and brown folks stay doing the labor, right? And, you know, women stay doing the labor around gender oh, stuff. This is oh. the labor on race is for white people. You know the it. labor on, on gender is for men, right? So let's really think about, you know, who's doing the labor. So if you, you can advocate, advocate. If you can start something, start something yourself, mm-hmm. right? But know that, like, having the outside support is really, really important. But sometimes if you start something, You'll you'll be able to reveal or unveil that like oh we have a gap here that we can't actually take care of internally we need some outside support. Wow. Um, so that's a that's a couple strategies. So I I appreciate that because I think sometimes I, I love to leave people with what can I do what is what is the next action what's the next step right Yeah um, yeah and and it's just important I wanted to read this little thing really quick because I feel like it has hit everything that we've talked about. Um, but it's a quote and I've posted it before and I'm going to post it again, but it's by Dafina Lazarus Stewart. And she Mm. said, diversity asks who's in the room. Equity Mm -hmm. responds, who is trying to get in the room, but can't 
whose mm. presence in the room is under constant threat of erasure. Mm. Right. That's what that's how equity. And I love how you said it first. Right. Like you wish you could take diversity out because that's you're right. Diversity says who ain't here. Who? OK, mm-hmm. we need another Asian. OK, great. We need somebody from the LGBT. OK, cute. Great. We got that. Uh, You know, and then then we just throw people in there and we throw them in a hostile environment. Right. Um, right. And then the next part, she says, inclusion asks, has everyone's ideas been heard? Mm-hmm. But justice responds, whose ideas won't be taken as seriously because they aren't in the majority? Mm-hmm. Girl, yeah, I'm not even done. She killed it with Ooh. this. <laughs> she says, diversity, right, your favorite part, ask, how many more of pick any minoritized group um, do we have this year than last, right? Have we added on more black folks, more Asians, more natives, right? That's what diversity says. But equity responds, what conditions have we created that maintain certain groups as the perpetual majority here? Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> equity. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm in love with equity. I might just name, listen, if I have another child, they might just be named equity because this is <laughs> But last part, she says, inclusion asks, is this environment safe for everyone to feel like they belong? Mm-hmm. Justice challenges whose safety is being sacrificed and minimized to allow others to be comfortable maintaining dehumanizing views. Mm, yes. Girl, when I read this, I like could not, I, I was waking up like in the middle of the night thinking about this quote. Like, yeah. I was just like, this is so damn good because diversity, yeah. equity, justice, inclusion, like all of these things are what we need, right? But diversity is the bare minimum. Like, we are just throwing LGBTQ, black folks, white folks, like, you know, Muslims, whoever it is, because it looks good, right? It's a good photo op. We haven't done our job, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is the last question, then we can wrap everything up. How have you personally seen marginalized communities, especially black communities, benefit from DEI trainings? Yeah. So, um, again, what I would I would lead with, right, mm-hmm. is that Dr. King said, right, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice Ooh. to bring it back to that justice quote. Right. So this work, this work is is long term. Mm-hmm. It's developmental. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we really want to be able to, like, implement something to see the results. Right. That's right. kind of like the, the capitalist in us. Right. We want to be able to quantify, quantify. Um, and. And what I know is that these these shifts that happen, right? I, I think there's cultural shifts when we start to recognize bias when it's happening. We start to mm-hmm. recognize the ways that our policies are are lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the benefit for for I think Black folks in particular, right, is to be able to one have language to name your own experience mm-hmm. and to name what you're seeing. Amen. Right. That's very empowering. Yeah. So when you see, oh, when you get language like racial data fatigue, when you get language mm-hmm. like weathering, when you get language like, oh, that was a microaggression. Right. Right. These things to, to you're a teacher. You know, I, this is normal, regular for you. We have a lot of people who have never heard these words mm-hmm. before. And so to have language that says, oh, that's what happened to me because I wasn't sure. Yep. what that was yep. or why that person said that to me, but that's what that was. Mm-hmm. That was a microaggression. Right. Okay, now I have some tools on how how I can um, advocate for myself, mm-hmm. right, or how I can get support, right? right? 
how can I get support? And now I can hold someone accountable because they also have the language. And I, they know a part of that language is how do they make a repair, mm-hmm. right? When they've mm-hmm. done that, right? And how do we both stay committed to this collaboration? Now, not everyone you want to continue to collaborate with, but right. some people you have to. So how do we make this work? And if we have common language and a common understanding as a foundation and a frame, then we can get somewhere. And so I think that that's very empowering um, for marginalized folks is to be able to have that language to be able to, to say, yeah, that, that's what that's called. And, and here's the impact of that mm-hmm. on me and on others and on this environment we're trying to create. I, I'm lucky because I work at a school that has a very strong mission and very strong values. We're not very good all the time at living them, mm-hmm. but we have them. And so the question I always get to ask is, is that mission aligned? Is that mission aligned? Is that mission aligned? And then I don't have to say, you're being racist. You're being this. You're right, being that. Right. I don't have to make an accusation. I'm just going to say, was that mission aligned? Right. Is that in line with our values? Ooh, Which value ooh, does that align on. with? Yes. And when you when you write those out and you have them, and you say, these are our company values. They're mm-hmm. in the handbook. This is our mission statement. This is our vision for where we're going with this work. Mm-hmm. Then everyone gets to pivot back to that and no one has to be the scapegoat. Wow. That I I think that that was okay, first of all, that was brilliant saying does that view align with our mission? Like, oh my gosh, I I'm going straight to my principal with that one. But um <laughs> the first part of everything that you said has been true of my journey um because I knew when things were racist happening towards me, but again, I did not have the language, right? Um, we, I didn't know about redlining or microaggressions. Like, I didn't know that that was a term, right? When you tell me like, oh, your hair is kind of nappy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because anybody else say, I mean, yeah, that's rude. You know, like that's, that's not a right. nice thing to say, but when I'm learning the history of our hair, Right. And how our hair has been political in this country and has been a form of oppression in this country. Now I have the language that says not only is that a microaggression, it also plays into systemic racism because you won't hire me because of my hair, because you think that I look unprofessional because so uh, like the the list goes on. So you're right. I mean, I think that a lot of us do want to know like, okay, so what have you seen? But you're right. This is decades. This is 400 years of, of undoing. Right. Yeah. In this nation. And we're like, well, you did it for a year, Misha. What's the result? (laughs) Right. Like Mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. like, um, 399 more years is the result. What do you mean? Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I definitely understand that. Misha, I cannot say I love you and thank you enough. Like, I love you, girl. I'm so glad that you brought me on so we could have this conversation. Seriously. I hope that it's helpful for the people because, girl. you know, that my my goal is how do we make how do we make meaning of our world right. in order to understand ourselves and each other better, right? Mm-hmm. That's the therapist in me, mm-hmm. and so this work helps to do some of that. And um, and I hope these are conversations that we will feel empowered to be able to have, and work that we will feel empowered to be able to advocate for mm-hmm. knowing that it's going to to benefit everyone and i think that's important that it did is a benefit to everyone so misha right now um because i'm gonna have you give the folks your info but right now you're just in new york right like you're are you doing are you doing these um trainings over zoom or anything like I mean, oh yeah we've moved virtual we've girl, moved virtual. In. give us all the come info on. girl because yes woo. well and that's been wonderful because this is if there's one thing we've gotten out of this it's creativity to rethink mm-hmm. what work is right yes. I, 
Yes. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's taken a lot, this pandemic, mm-hmm. but it's given us a few things and, and, and reimagining what work is, is, yes. is been incredible. So yeah, things that, you know, I've been doing trades with companies all over the country. Um, yes. and, and we've been able to bring in international folks and, and, and all sorts of stuff because we can get on Zoom. So you can you can find me at drmishamagriggs.com, D-R-M-I-C-A-M-C-G-R-I-G-G-S.com. Misha looks like Micah. I know. it's Thanks, Mom. Uh, it's been fun all these decades. Or um, you can also find me through Mosaic Workplace mosaicworkplace.com, which is a a consulting firm that I work very closely with. So I do some independent stuff and I also consult with Mosaic. So that's how you find me. Or on the, not on the Twitter, because I think I got locked out of Twitter because I talk too much smack. But uh, Instagram, (laughs) you can find me. (laughs) Trump can stay, all they do is stay fact checking, putting like little fact checks underneath. I think of Angela Rye, who is our like beloved, every black person's beloved cousin. <laughs> like, right. I think if she can stay on there, we in there. I mean, she's going to need to get Twitter back. <laughs> I, I, I think this, I, I probably just forgot my password or something really. It's probably not that, it's probably not all that drama, but I had to hype it up. It kicked me off. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, listen, y'all, please, um, reach out to Misha. When I tell you she is phenomenal at the work she does, I hope that you have gotten a piece of that in this little bit of time that, you know, you've been able to hear her because I've seen her. We've worked on conferences together. She's, she's great. Um, and she's brilliant and you'll be able to oh. hear all of that and know all of that. Right. The, probably the first five seconds as we got on this uh, podcast, but you're too sweet, too kind. Misha, thank you, girl. Like, Felicia, thank you. Thank you. This Misha. has been so <laughs> Girl, this has been so fun. This has been so fun. Good to talk with you. And um, I hope we do it again. We can talk oh, about all the Oh, are we going to? Because uh, when I tell you this is just part one, girl, we got a whole bunch of things I need to pull Cut back up. in for. So. <laughs> um, so, guys, again, each one, teach one. Whatever you learned today, we need you to go out. Um, we need you to, to do this work because, again, we're dealing with 400-plus uh, years, right, of oppressive work that has been uh, systemically, institutionally implemented in this country, right? So we're trying to we're trying to move forward. We're trying to make a better way for for the next generations, right? For the future generations to come. So uh, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Black Joy and Bootstraps. Follow me on the Twitter, right? Uh, that Misha was locked out of. It's Black Joy and Boots. B L K Joy and Boots. Um, and again, each one teach one. And until next time.